You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 48 called Flipped Classroom Practices with FlippingGoodTech.com. In this episode, Geis and I invite some flipping good educators from the Connected Tech podcast. As a group, we describe the flipped classroom, talk about some advantages of a flipped classroom, and introduce several methods of best practice. Check it out. So this is a very special episode of Got Tech, the podcast. We have two fantastic guests. I know both Geis and I are really excited to get to talk to some uh, amazing tech educators today. Our first guest is a teacher and student educator for over 15 years. She has a degree in English, a master's in educational technology leadership, and a principal certification. She's also spent time as a professional learning facilitator and coordinator. Perhaps my uh, favorite credential here is that she is also a self proclaimed post-it lover and llama lover. I'm talking about Elizabeth King. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're, we're, going, we're doing really good. I, just, I see I, what she did there. Yeah, she used my last name. Cl- very clever. Hey. Very clever. I want to kind of stay away from ed tech just at the very beginning and ask you about the post-it thing because I am also obsessed and run most of my daily life using post-its. Is that, are you kind of the same way? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a problem for me. I have I'm at home right now, but I have a whole stack of post-its very close to me. And at work, I write down all of my to-do lists on post-its. So I'll have like tons of post-its going across my monitor, all over my desk. And that's sort of just kind of how I keep track of my time. So yeah, I love post-its. I don't know what I would do without them. I try to do it in a digital format, but I really just prefer the old-fashioned post-its. Yeah, I think it's funny with all the ed tech that you can get into. And I've tried the digital post-its also that kind of pop up on your, just the computer background. They just don't do it. For some things, you need that kind of tactile experience. Let's get into our next guest. He's an educator of teachers and students. We're actually a lot alike because he has a background in science. I also have a background in science. We both have uh, masters. His is in ed tech leadership. He's a Google for education trainer, and he's a self-proclaimed professional development party animal i'm telling you yeah that's right i did my homework and last of not least he is also a llama lover is that true in by association yes okay (laughs) i've grown into it yeah actually i went to the renaissance festival the festival here in texas a couple of weeks ago and i saw a kid riding llama and i just exploded in joy Did you take a thousand pictures and send them to Elizabeth? I, I should have. I was too excited. I, the llama kind of like, you know, ran away from me. I just had to soak in the moment. So I understand that you're by association because the knucklehead sitting to my right, he has this obsession with narwhals. I don't get it. The unicorn of the ocean. Yeah. What's not they, to get? Narwhals. They yeah. do have a horn, don't they? Yeah. They've got the ones. It's just such a weird... I don't know. It's just I can't even believe it's like a real animal. That was my whole thing. How did the how did the llama obsession start with you guys? I know on your show there's little stuffed llamas and statues all over the place. Is there a background story to that? I guess I'm the most to blame for the llama infiltration of our podcast. But it all started back with Napoleon Dynamite. If you remember that movie, I was 
quite obsessed with it. I had posters all over my classroom alluding to Napoleon Dynamite. I had students who watched it and we knew all the, the one-liners from that movie. So we would just kind of banter back and forth with those Napoleon Dynamite um, one-liners. And of course the llama was a big part of it. So we had the Tina the llama Tina, that's right. uh, up in the, in the classroom and hey, it was Tina, just a big deal. Tina, Yo, Tina, come get some ham. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the narwhal we have Hey, buddy. Oh, from Elf, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay. All right, cool. Nick, I actually have a little narwhal. Uh, get out. That is so awesome. See, man, you yeah. don't you don't get it. Narwhals I are awesome. It <laughs> pops the ball out of its mouth when you squeeze its stomach. Ah, I need that. Yeah. That's so cool. cool. All right, so let's get into a little bit about FlippinGoodTech.com and your podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. How did it come about? Go ahead, Elizabeth. I guess I'll start. Daryl can, can jump in and add. Um, I, I think that just kind of to keep it very brief, you know, podcasting has been around a very, very long time, but in educational technology specifically, it has blown up like over the last couple of years. So there's, there are tons of podcasts out there and I always was very intrigued by it because my first major in college was broadcast communications. So I thought I would go into broadcasting and then I ended up not doing that, went into teaching. So when I started listening to some podcasts and meeting some different people who had their own, I thought maybe that would be kind of a way to, to kind of get that in there and, and just try it. And then the other component to that was also in our school districts, we're always encouraging teachers to take risks and have their students take risks and, and do passion projects and give students more ownership in their learning. And podcasting is, is an option, I think, for students to do that and teachers as well. So my thought, my philosophy as professional learning coordinator and educator is to model those things. So I thought, wow, we need to model passion projects in such a way so that we can speak to that journey when we are talking to teachers and students. So that was kind of where it started. And I wanted a co-host because I, ha I think I have a pretty witty personality. I think that I do, but I tend to be more on the straight and narrow than Daryl, for instance. And so I started thinking, man, Daryl, Daryl and I have very similar philosophies on education. We've known each other for a while. We're very comfortable with each other. It's almost sort of like a sibling relationship in a lot of ways, me being uh, the older sibling of the two of us. But he was the first person I thought of when I thought co-host. I thought Daryl would be the one I would want to co-host the show with me. And so I just asked him and he being the risk taker that he is, he said yes. And then here we are. That's the first time I've heard that story. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, because Elizabeth came to me with, with the idea and I'm the type of person who if anyone has a passionate idea, I'd love to help that person get that idea out there and keep ideas afloat. And like Elizabeth was saying, podcasting is right now, it's it's huge and it's a great way for us to share our passion. Um, and like we're learning all these different skills. I had no background in podcasting and, you know, ours is also we have a, a video component to it as well. So here I am learning how to, you know, edit videos and Elizabeth does the marketing, and it, but it's fun. It's, it doesn't feel like work to us. We enjoy it, and we just want to share a message. How does your uh, how does your uh, podcast and your website like? Are they sort of one and the same, or do you use them for different purposes? Because we're sort of working out all those kinks our, ourselves was part of our website and podcast. So I'm just kind of curious how you guys uh, inter 
kind of interweave the two? Yeah, there, there's a lot going on on the website. We have um, we have a blog attached to it. We have we try to throw in a Flipgrid in there as well. But um, you know, we figured like you know, building on your your digital footprint, that we felt like it was an important co- component for um for all, all our viewers to go back to reference who we are as educators who we are in this podcast journey and to have a you know repository for all our information and material but uh Elizabeth you know handles that pretty well adding components to to the um to the website so she can talk more about it well there are lots of components as Daryl said with the website and when we first started talking about doing this, we threw a lot of things out there at one time because we kept thinking we should just go ahead and start with some of the things we felt like were necessary to get our name out there and sort of become more visible. We felt like website was was a key component to that. We wanted to direct people back to the website. So they not only got the video component of the podcast, they got an audio component right there. They also could see who we were as individuals and really get to know us personally. We have a page that's dedicated on the website just to the llamas. And <laughs> we started right. this podcast back in February was the first the first episode that we recorded at the very end of that month. And we had an all about Daryl page and all about Elizabeth page and an all about Alam- the llamas page. And I have to say <laughs> the llamas page is still under construction because I, we haven't gone back over there to do some updating on that, but we, we want to do more with it. But I think the idea of redirecting people back to that site is crucial because they can see us um, a little closer about who we are. And that that's kind of our, our main message, getting to know us and us connecting with other people. Yeah, I think you have a very good personalized learning experience on your site. I know that when we were doing some research about both of you for the intros, uh, that's where we went to. And for that llama page on total separate note, I just uh, saved a rhino. I wonder if Ooh. you guys could save a llama. Wait, and, saved a rhino? Yeah, I paid like 25 bucks and it goes towards saving a okay. rhino. They send me a picture every <laughs> once in a while and, and we go there. So I think that could be your page. So kind of what we're hoping to do in this episode of Got Tech the Podcast is bring you guys on, of course, and, and, and hear a little bit about what you do, but hopefully focus on one thing that I know I'm super passionate about in my own teaching. Uh, Geis as well, back when he was still a classroom teacher, did a lot of this. And it seems like it's one of your major focuses as well. And that is, we're talking about a flipped classroom, of course. We talk about it off and on on the show all the time, but I don't think we've ever done a full episode fully devoted to the flipped classroom. So I think it would be fitting as a way to kind of start off our first segment now that we sort of know a little bit about each of you is to get into that and maybe start off with with your perspective on really kind of what that is. Let's just sort of pretend some of our listeners right now, maybe they've heard of it, but aren't super clear on sort of the uh, how it works and, and the overall functionality of a flipped classroom and why this is such an important thing. So maybe each of you one at a time could sort of take us through broad strokes where you see flipped classrooms in uh, modern education. Uh, to me, flipped classroom is using the power of technology to expand beyond the walls of the, the, the walls of your classroom. Uh, where students are learning information and gathering information at home, right, where teachers create, you know, using a learning management system, creating videos, um, doing activities that are easy enough to do at home. So they're prepared to do, let's say, project-based learning or, or makerspace in the classroom. It's kind of making a level playing field for students so they are all, you know, familiar what to, what they need to do, what they need to learn so they can go beyond the scope of, uh, of the content in the classroom. Okay, I like that, Liz. What did he What did he miss there? Anything, or does that pretty much summarize it for you as well? Okay, so if I could add anything to it, I would just say that flipped learning, 
the flipped environment in general as one mode for the blended learning classroom. I know blended learning is kind of a buzzword in education, but it's, it's a very powerful uh, way to learn. It's got that blend of technology with blend of, of traditional methods of instruction. But the main component of blended learning is the ability to give students some control and ownership over the time in which they learn, the place in which they learn, the pace in which they learn, and um, the path, giving them control over path. So obviously, allowing them to learn some components of the lesson or the unit outside of the traditional classroom gives them some type of ownership in it. And that, that's a win-win. When students have ex- access to the learning, no matter where they are and at any time, I think it, it's a win-win on both sides. Yeah, I agree. I have two major takeaways from what uh, both of you said. The first one is, yeah, it is a bud- buzzword, but it is very powerful. I love the fact that uh, students can take ownership of their own work at their own pace. I, I love that. And that's the reason why I flipped my classroom. But Daryl, you said that it la- levels up the playing field. And for me, this was the biggest like aha moment I ever had. I had a couple of parents that came up to me during parent-teacher conferences. Their kids had uh, either IEP or a 504 plan. And they said that they absolutely loved the flip classroom because they were able to take notes at home while watching a video that they had to deal with my monotone voice (laughs) without any audio enhancements whatsoever. But they could listen to that. They could take their notes. That way, when they come into the classroom, they felt like they were all together. It didn't matter if they had a, you know, a learning disability or if they were college prep ready, uh, leveled kid it didn't matter so that was my biggest takeaway yeah i think it's one of the cool things about this too is is you know that aspect of giving everybody almost like that equal playing field to where they have control over it so they can engage with this content however they want um and that's kind of how i'd like to wrap this up is maybe just talk some best practices of what you guys have done that works or what you've seen other teachers do that works i know i'm sort of halfway through the process i want to eventually flip my entire chemistry curriculum right now out of, I think, 10 units, I've flipped three of them. And um, I always poll the students at the end of a, a flipped unit and I say, what do you think about this? And it's like 90% of the kids far prefer to learn via the videos. There's usually one or two that say, no, I kind of like to do it here in class, but it's like a crazy overwhelming majority. And I think one of the things that I do that works really good um, is keeping the videos short. I, Whenever they watch a video at home, I try to make sure that none of them is longer than five minutes. It's just like a goal I set for myself. And they, they feel like, and I it's probably true, but um, they feel like they're doing less work than ever because instead of going home with some, you know, some packet or some worksheet that they only half know how to complete anyway, they just have to spend five minutes, five minutes watching this this video. Maybe pause it to take some notes, so it takes a little bit longer, and possibly like a formative assessment quiz to kind of help prep me for that next class period. But uh, it works. It's just been so successful. So I don't know if you guys have anything like that or a tip or something you've tried that uh, is particularly helpful that you could share. I think I may have a little more because um, of his experience working on the campus right now. 
I work in a different capacity, so I'm not actually having direct contact with students and teachers, but I do train on the flipped classroom and the blended classroom um, model. So um, I think one of the things that I try to mention too is that you obviously give students the, the content. It all needs to start with the content of what they're learning. It needs to be very purposeful and that um, giving students a place to find that content is huge. Um, they don't need to be questioning or guessing, where am I going to look for this again? It needs to be very obvious to them where to go to find it. And then students needing to, giving them an opportunity to respond to the content. I think that's that's huge as well, because you can just put out, you know, videos all day long, even if you make them in only three minutes. But if you don't give students a chance to interact or respond to that content or that video, I think you're doing a disservice because you have no way of knowing, well, are they getting the instruction that they need? One thing I would add too, is that equity is always a question and an issue that we come across. There may be campuses who have uh, students, a demographic that don't have access to Wi-Fi or technology outside of the classroom. And that that tends to be to be a yes, but I think for a lot of teachers and flipping their classroom. So one thing we suggest is, you know, your flipped learning could become a station in your classroom. If you use like a station rotation model or something like that in class, maybe the flipped instruction part is available to those students who don't have access to the Wi-Fi or the content outside of class that they could still do it in class and be caught up so that 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 playing field is level for everyone despite their access to the internet in school or outside of school. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of good points there. Uh, Daryl, do you have anything that you could add? Yeah, you know, there's a sort of artistry when you were you know, do like flip classrooms. And I know Catelyn Tucker, she's like the queen of blended learning, she calls it, but we're the architects of learning. Uh, so what as educators, when we create these flip learning classrooms, and you had mentioned that um, making the videos at least, you know, five, five minutes max, so we don't lose the engagement of our students. So we have to be cognizant about how we design these things. So students are willing to do these activities at home. So they're ready to elevate the learning in the classroom. So um, and that's what I love about flipped learning because you're, and you can personalize the flipped learning to, you know, your students' taste depending on what level they are and finding ways to get them engaged so they're empowered in the classroom to go beyond the scope of uh, learning. But um, I mean, there are a lot of tools out there to, to help get you started, but, you know, just the main fact is enjoy the process of designing these things because that's why we're educators. We, you can get really creative with using all these tools, using all the different platforms but focus on how do you get your students to be engaged when they're at home doing the assignment? Like how are you making it relevant? And what is what are the lessons that you're doing in your classroom that gets them excited, that gets them engaged? So they have the ownership to go beyond you know, what they're trying to learn. So, and that's what I love about it. And just how can we be creative to hook our students into, into learning? That's super important because I see a lot of teachers um, who will try this, right? And they try to maybe push some digital content, a video home to their kids, but they don't, they don't treat the video the same as they would treat a, a class period, a face-to-face -face lesson where they try to make it engaging. They might find some video from some professor right, right. that's 45 minutes long and they say, okay, kids, here's this is the flipped classroom we're supposed to do now. And it's, it's miserable. It's not an engaging experience. It takes way too long. It's very tedious. You have to realize that that content, that digital content, whether it's video or not, uh, it, it is often overlooked. You're, you're right. I like how you said there's an artistry to it and you have to make it appealing. You've got to 
it's got to be well done. It's got to be relatable to the kids and they have to know that it has a purpose and that it's going to allow them to have a more enjoyable experience in the class or, or at the very least get the help they need. So I think that's a hugely important part of this. So two things, takeaways are equity and creativity. I, I want to go back to equity real quick and I wish I would have thought of this three minutes ago, but I didn't. It came to me, but I'm going to go with it right now. Um, when we send homework home to students and they have parents that are biologists and I send them biology homework, they have an advantage there. But if the parents are not biologists or have no science background, that puts one student ahead of the other. And by getting them both on the same page with the content, that's for me the big equity takeaway. And as far as the creativity goes, we we need to also educate our parents about this creative process. I know for me, I got a lot of pushback and a lot of heat at first because the flip classroom was not known as a teaching method. And I got a lot of heat for that, but I invited parents into my classroom and I said, anytime you want to come in, I got plenty of seats in the back. You could sit in the lab, you could listen, you could, you could chime in. And that's where the station rotation, ha- like for me, occurred. Because what I did is I, su- I set up a lab. I had seven stations. I had seven Chromebooks. And I paired parents with, with uh, students and they went through it together. And he had four or five parents, so it was pretty easy to do that. But educating the parents is, in my opinion, a starting point and it's a must. I would add to what you're saying to Eric about just the connection between what is done at home and what is done in the classroom. It shouldn't be just something you don't want to do with the kids. You know what I mean? I'm going to flip that because that's just something I want to get out of the way. Uh, Let's just do that over on the side. I don't care about that. And then I'm going to not have a connection between what I ask them to do with the flip learning and what they do when they come in the classroom. So I think keeping going into stations to, to make that learning more engaging, more relevant, more purposeful, more impactful, having the students get the opportunity to dig deeper into things connected to that content, but that also would matter to them, I think it is crucial as well. Because, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's not connected, the students are going to catch on to that real quick. Mm-hmm. And then flip learning is not flip learning anymore. Yep. It's just homework that's not getting done. Yep. That's absolutely right. These are all really, really important points. Um, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for our first segment. If there's any teachers listening to this that feel like we've hit on something here with this flipped classroom, stay tuned because in segment two, we want to get into some ed tech tools that are going to support you in this process and hopefully some things that can make an otherwise daunting process seem pretty, uh, pretty doable, pretty manageable and achievable. So check it out. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched. All right, so we just got done with uh, some best practices regarding the flipped classroom. Now I want to get into my favorite part. We're going to break it into four different segments. We'll start the first one, uh, just kind of like what what are ways that we can introduce content into the flipped classroom using ed tech? So Daryl, I'm going to ask you to start this thing off. Give me one Man. or two tools that you just go to. Okay, where do, where do I start? I'm going to go with, okay, so we use a learning management system uh, on our campus and we, we have Schoology on our campus, which is a great, great tool for blended learning or flip learning. Uh, but with the tool, we're using it to build an online community. So I love that the discussion board, any type of discussion board aspect out there and the rules that apply in the classroom should also apply within that discussion board, how they're respectful to each other and, and how they had how they have their 
required to reply to each other in a constructive way that promotes discussion. Uh, so any type of discussion tool platform out there could be Google Classroom, uh, Schoology. And when it comes to video, I know Screencastify, teachers love, but uh, I'm going to put a plug out there. I just purchased Camtasia about a month ago, and I love that tool because you can record yourself and also edit the video from the same platform. Of course, there is you, you pay for it. It's not free, but you, it's a one-time you know thing. You pay for it once, and then you have it forever. So those would be my you know a learning management system and some way to record your video. That's I'm glad you brought it up, especially with Camtasia. There is a fee for that, but I was just doing this earlier today, uh, recording some content for a unit we're going to be starting soon. And uh, I'm trying to use mostly free stuff, so I use uh, Screencast-O-Matic to record videos for mm-hmm. whatever presentation I put together, um, which lets you do some. Editing. It actually has a decent amount of stuff these days, and and you could probably get away with just that. But I try and make them like we talked about as as engaging and professional looking as possible. So I'm recording in Screencast-O-Matic. Uh, I'm downloading it, and then I'm uploading that into another service that our school pays for called WeVideo for some additional editing and adding audio in there. And it's not bad. I can crank out a five minute video probably in like 30 minutes start to finish. But um, that ability to do everything all in one place, I think would be uh, important. So that's that's a, an important one to, or helpful one to bring up for people. So I guess we jump to maybe Elizabeth's kind of same question. Are there any tools for this process that you would uh, recommend for introducing content in a flipped classroom? I could break the tools down into three components. I always start with how are they going to access it? Okay. Bill touched on the learning management system is a great way to access. So if you don't have a learning management system like Schoology on your your campus or in your district, then Google Classroom is a great a great way to do that. Your website is also a good place for students to access the content. My favorite video free <laughs> video creation tool would be Screencastify because it's a Google Chrome extension. It's real easy to grab and use. And it's super cheap, too, if you wanted to pay for the pro version of that. I think it's only $24 a year for Screencastify Pro, and that will allow you to edit. You can also download things as GIFs, which are really cool. Download them as MP4s, share them as links, or upload to YouTube. So I think Screencastify is is huge. Uh, Flipgrid also, I think I wouldn't underestimate the power of Flipgrid in the Flip classroom. has Flip built right right in there. Uh, Edpuzzle is still a good one. For video because you can have it pause throughout and then ask a question and then the students have to answer that question about the video that they've seen so far before they can continue on with the video so it holds some accountability there and so that's for video pieces that would be um, my top ones i've used screencast-o-matic too i really like screencast-o-matic as well okay so i i've been out of out of the uh, flip classroom for a little bit but i i did use uh, screencast-o-matic as well they're Screencastify and Screencast-O-Matic are very similar. Screencast-O-Matic now has a Google extension as well, which is cool. It's very cheap. Camtasia is awesome. There's another one, Loom, which does the same thing. Me, I think if I was in the classroom right now, I would mash up between using my own screencasts, whether it's from Screencast-O-Matic, and put it into Edpuzzle because then I get like the best of both worlds where I can mm-hmm. check for understanding. You talked a little bit about LMSs, uh, and I, there's an old one, but a good one uh, that I really like. It's called Sophia.org. And it allows you to take a video in there and you could put the multiple choice questions on the side as they watch the video. So they could see the next question that's coming up in the video and it kind of triggers them to pay attention because that's something that's super important. So that's another one that I would put there. Let's 
uh, shift a little bit, all right? Let's get away from the video and other ways to bring content into the flip classroom. So we don't need them to always watch videos at home. In fact, that would bring up a lot of questions from parents sometimes. So let's talk a little bit about content builders that they can go home and kind of surf through content in different ways. Maybe it's a picture, maybe it's an article, something like that. What are some apps that you guys or ed tech tools that you guys go to to just relay content? Well, for an ELA person, um, I love Newzella. I think that's pretty popular. I think it's very well known out there because it gives, you know, these articles, these expository texts that students can read, but um, it puts it on their reading level. It, it can order it by their Lexile, which I think is great so that you can meet the needs of all your learners. There's a really cool Chrome extension called Insert Learning. And I love Insert Learning as well because you can assign the article, that's a web-based article, and then the teacher can add all these different questions on the page of that article that students would have to respond to. So it's very interactive with the content. And HyperDocs, there are tons of HyperDocs out there just created already, but creating um, just some activities to do within Google Docs or Google Slides that, that have students responding to those as well. Maybe you link an article on there and then they have to respond to it in some way on the Google Doc itself. Awesome. Daryl, what did we miss? Anything else uh, non-video related to push content out to the students? Yeah, uh, there's one that's that's hitting the waves out there. And Elizabeth, you know about this one. Wakelet, I feel like it's a great tool out there for content curation. So teachers pick and choose the best articles, the best you know videos, uh, not just to dump the information on there, but to actually curate the best resources so our students can can absorb and take in. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a great, it has a lot of purposes too. You can make digital portfolios with it. You can make playlists out of it. So, I mean, I, I want to throw that tool out there. Twitter, I mean, go out there on Twitter and find information, you know, reach out to other educators who you know, who are doing the same lesson as you and figure out what's the best way, how do they present that information to their students? So find ways to connect because we want our students to connect. Um, teachers should do the same thing. Yeah. So our, our next topic, we've been kind of hitting it along the way and that that is communication. And we talked about the LMS. We talked about having a website. I would urge everybody out there that's going to try flipped uh, the flip classroom to post their stuff in multiple areas, have a YouTube channel, put it on your website, put it on your LMS, any way that you could give a different way for a student to view the same thing is great because then if they say the website was down, well, guess what? YouTube was probably not down. <laughs> or if YouTube was down, guess what? The LMS system was probably not down. So give yourselves some, uh, I don't know, some peace of mind. Once it's posted there on your website, you kind of get to forget about it. So just put it there. But let's get into how we assess and provide feedback in a flipped classroom. And to me, the, the assessment, I'm not talking really summative assessment, I'm talking the formative assessment and that feedback that needs to be kind of near instant. If, if, if you take too long, it kind of loses the effectiveness of whatever, I don't know, whatever they push to you, you need to push back something equally quick or if not quicker. So let's talk a little bit about either assessment tools or feedback tools. Elizabeth, start us off. There's there's so many feedback tools. When you're talking about giving them instantaneous feedback, that you know is is good for for the teacher not to create more to create more work. I think that's one of the the struggles that teachers have. One of their big 
yes, buts is I don't have time to do this. This is one more thing to do it. So I think giving them tools that will give feedback automatically to kids is, is really helpful. Google Forms is an oldie but goodie. I would never, ever underestimate the power of Google Forms because you can do the response validation within Google Forms, set it up to where if the student gets the wrong answer, there's a feedback that you've already put in place as the teacher that they're going to get automatically that says, oh, try again. And you can even link resources in there right there for them to go check out some tutorial video or a link to their notes or a link to a website or whatever that can help them. Then if they get it right, they get it correct, then, you know, they get some type of meme or some type of response that says, good job, keep going. And I think there are a lot of other websites out there that do that, like quizzes. Quizzes is really great with with doing that to, to gather that data. And I think one thing I will add here, um, I might be getting a little ahead, so forgive me, but one of the things I would add here is using that data on the students to inform the instruction that, that goes on in the classroom when the kids come back to you during the day, whether that's how you form your groups, how, how you have whichever group of students who comes and sits with the teacher who may need more assistance and then inform the students who are doing their, their where they need to be so they can go on to the next thing. I think using that data to, uh, to make your instruction even better is a crucial point as well. I think that's a great point. Flip Classroom gives you several instances where you can collect data and use it for the greater good of the classroom and to explore those weaknesses and put people that have strengths with those uh, students that might be a little bit behind. Daryl, talk to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I'm a firm believer of outsourcing feed forward. There's a great, there's a great podcast out there with that uh, cult of pedagogy with Joe Hirsch. And how can we provide feedback or feed forward to get them going, you know, to okay. motivate them to fail and move forward. So the, the, the ability to have a discussion online through either your learning management system and having students provide feed, feed forward to the, to the students, it's very empowering. So as a community, they're providing each other uh, feedback or feed forward. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> um, I've seen great uses of Flipgrid where um, project-based learning, they're doing an, a unit on Antarctica. So they connected with the scientists out there in Antarctica. And then kids are asking them questions. And then the scientists are replying back to them through Flipgrid. Um, but finding a way for not just the teacher to provide the feedback or feed for it, but students as well. So giving them the opportunity to share and to communicate online, of course, you have to set procedures and set the environment. But I know a lot of teachers are afraid, and I was one of those, like enabling discussions on Google Classroom because we're afraid that our students are going to like spam the board or say something inappropriate. But I say just leave it open, and if they make a mistake, then it's a learning opportunity. Teach them how they're supposed to conduct themselves online. Um, so, of course, you know, find teachers being involved in that discussion process, but cultivating and nourishing that discussion so students are more inclined to lead the discussion and provide each other feedback. So there's an important component where teachers have to kind of you know, find a way to, to be strategic about how they do it and setting the environment. That's why I get back to the artistry of, of flip learning. We're finding ways to you know, make that, you know, cultivate that environment. Yeah, I love that. Uh, one of the big takeaways I took from what you just said was, as teachers, we need to provide a safe space where kids can fail and be okay with it. And and that includes social media. In my opinion, we need to take those moments where they do something questionable and we need to bring it forward and say, how, how do we move forward from this? Because otherwise, what's going to happen, they're 21, they're going to put something on the internet, and the next thing you know, it's going to come out back and bite 
invite them when they go for the the real job interview. So let's let's put some uh, privacy settings in the classroom, keep it private within us, and use it as a learning experience. I really, really, really love that point. So I think, I don't know if this is a good wrap up, but I have to say, because I feel like I'm really close to hitting on what I hope is for my own classroom, like a magic formula almost for, for teaching students with this flipped classroom where I started just pushing videos out and saying, okay, there's your homework. And it was okay. It was kind of whatever. And then a couple years ago, I pushed the video out, but with some sort of a way to uh, gather data on their understanding. And then it kind of brought it up like one notch higher. And that made it really super powerful. Uh, just this year for the first time, there's the video, there's that assessment piece. But in between those two steps, I put, and, and Elizabeth, I'm glad you mentioned the Google form. You know, we kind of overlook some of these things that have been around for a while, but it's so powerful. I use it as like a self-assessment uh, where they can just kind of see what they understand in between doing the actual assessment that I use. And now it's it's like another notch higher. And I think what I hope, the one piece that I'm, I'm missing now, uh, Daryl, you've mentioned it a couple of times, is like a live interaction discussion board, maybe on just Google Classroom or a doc somewhere, or maybe maybe social media based too, or flip. There's so many avenues. I haven't thought about it yet, but I think that could just be so insanely powerful. Yeah, I want to throw a tool out there that I that I learned about a couple of weeks ago. I think it's been out there for a while. I used to use Today's Meet was a great back channel um, app out there. Okay. Uh, where student, you can create a room and then students can have the discussion. You can share that link to parents so they can see what the discussion is happening. But then it, it disappeared. Uh, but then I found out there's another platform called Yo, Yo Teach, yoteach.com. I don't know if you heard about that one. And I just discovered about it a couple of weeks ago when I went to a training. I was like, man, this is great. Uh, so if they're not using, if no one's using a learning management platform, I mean, that's, it's a free tool to get online discussions going. Awesome. Yeah. Throw it out there. So we, we hit on these quick formative assessments, but we also have to kind of touch on the longer. So say you have a personal reflection in a Google Doc or something like that. We also have to provide quick feedback there, and that's going to make it more challenging. And I just wanted to throw out one extension that I really enjoy. And what was the one that we used to use, Talk and Comment? Yeah. But that one kind of stopped being supported, and now every time you speak into it, it kind of blows up your voice and lowers it. So... I have a slow, lower voice already. I sound really, really bad in that. But there's a new one that came out. It's called eComments, and it's an extension, and it gives you several different ways of communicating with your students. You can, first, you could just text in that Google Doc, so you're just doing a comment, but you can make your own canned comments for a project. Second thing that you could do is click the microphone, and it will give them a voice uh, thread, which is an amazing tool. I know that it started off free, now there's like a trial period, but it's nine. It's like nine bucks and you get it for life. That's one that I feel like that nine bucks can go a long, long way. But make your canned comments. I You could also do video feedback as well. So it, it has like that screencast-o-matic component, but you no longer need to publish it and then send it to them and share it to them. Now you can just hit comment, hit the video thing, make your video, and uh, then they have feedback. Downloading it now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I, I know my practice has been enhanced today. I'm going to go check out Yo Teach as soon as we're done here. I hope all of our listeners feel the same way. Uh, thanks to Daryl and Elizabeth for all their contributions. What a great episode so far, but stay tuned. We've got one more segment where we're going to reflect on uh, the past year and some of the things we're excited about in the upcoming year.
I just want to formally thank again one more time Elizabeth King. You can find her on Twitter at ElizabethKing88 and, and Daryl Legaspi at EdTechLegaspi. Uh, of course, their website, FlippingGoodTech.com and Connected tech podcast uh, it's been so nice to talk to you guys i know like i said just a little bit ago i've gotten so many great ideas myself and i hope everybody listening feels the same way we thought it would be kind of a cool way to end the show and kind of just go round robin here from everybody kind of open forum style but anything you'd like to share um, could be a reflection on this episode and where it's someplace it's going to take you maybe something you're looking forward to in your own uh podcast or website this coming year we're sort of approaching the new year that you would like to share or kind kind of uh, spread the word from your audience to ours um, and just kind of kind of wrap it up a little bit. So maybe, I don't know, Elizabeth, do you want to start us off with something in this realm? Sure. Uh, one of the things I would like to point out to the, those who are listening is the way that you guys and we connected. We connected through a social media, basically, platform called Voxer. We we're in a Voxer group of ed tech leaders. I think that it's really important to not um, discount the value that social media can bring in making connections because you guys are up in New Jersey, we're down here in Texas, and we're able to connect virtually through Zoom, the platform we're using today. And I think that's pretty awesome. Um, our big focus with our podcast is to connect to other like-minded educators who are risk takers out there. And we want to keep that going uh, with our podcast. We don't want to lose that kind of stamina. We right now record only once a month. I can't say that we will ever make that more than once a month. I don't know. Daryl and I'll have to have a side conversation about uh -huh. that because we do the video component as well. So that requires a whole nother level of editing and, and work. But um, we love what we do. I think one of the things we're trying to do now is to, to take out clips from our longer podcasts because we talk about students getting bored with really, really long podcasts in the flipped classroom, right? We don't want our viewers to, to think, oh, we want them to kind of hear some parts, pull out little bits from our podcast that we could use to promote more. And um, so I think that's going to be a big focus for us going forward. Girl, can you think of anything else? We haven't really talked about our big New Year's plans for, for where we're going with the podcast, but I'm, maybe you've got some ideas we haven't, haven't shared. Oh, no, ditto. Whatever you said. That was, <laughs> that was great. The connections are real, man. The connections are real. And like I said, just creating this podcast that made, you know, a lot of us to connect with you guys. So we're really excited about that and anybody else, else out there who's listening. So I've learned quite a few things today as well. Always, we're always learning, always learning. Yeah, that's one of the, the main things I really like about having guests on the show. You know, Nick and I can only teach each other so much. I, I've learned several different ed tech tools, but also some methods of best practice from you. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway and as far as our podcast, I think we're just going to keep focusing on trying to provide good content to the listeners, keep growing with our listeners and with our guests, and try to get more guests on the show. That was going to be mine. I think guests, like you like you said, you just, just got to ask people, right? You just throw it out there. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They, no, they don't respond. I guess the worst case would be they do respond and it's a disaster, but that never happens anyway. And we, we've all been doing it long enough now where I think it's going to be a great experience no matter what. So I, I also definitely look forward to that. All right. So that's pretty much going to wrap up this episode. And uh, you can find Elizabeth and Daryl at FlippingGoodTech.com. Go check out Connected Tech Podcast. And also go find us. If you found us already, you probably know where to find us, but find us again somewhere else and help <laughs> us out. And uh, you could go to GotTech.com or uh, follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at Geist Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.